welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and today we are here to discuss episode five of season three, titled The Trap. Today, I am here with Megan Rooney. Megan, how are you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me. Uh, Megan, uh, uh, I guess, I mean, more importantly, you are a, a, a health care attorney in Chicago. That's your, your, your day, day-to-day, but you're also somewhat a fan of the show, Six Feet Under, and of the podcast, safe to say. <laughs> yes, yes, to both. Long-time <laughs> fan of the show. I actually watched it during its initial run. Wow, did you? So, like, you, did you pick it up? From the first day of like the season one or somewhere along where we're along at now? Along the way. Uh-huh. Along the way. So it came, it started when I was in college. So I went to the University of Michigan. And it's not easy to keep up on your television shows while you're in college, particularly pre-TiVo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one summer break, I picked up season one on DVD at Best Buy. So I suppose that dates me a little bit. Um, got caught up. Um, and then started watching, um, I think it was my junior year in college. So this particular um, show that we're going to talk about today was something I watched my senior year in college in my friend Laura's uh, apartment. Hmm, interesting. And have you like revisited the show? Because like, I'm someone, and I've said this many times, I rewatch shows more as background noise as anything. Have you like, re- did you do like a, a season, you know, five season binge on it or, or just revisiting it in any sense? Absolutely. I think I've probably watched it all the way through four times, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I'm always very jealous when I find out someone hasn't watched it before (laughs) and they get to experience it for the first time. I mean, it's, I think it's the most perfect five seasons of television with the best finale that has ever been written. So um, I absolutely revisit it and I had a ton of fun revisiting it this time as I'm listening to the podcast. Um, and I'm experiencing, I think, the same thing that you and many other guest hosts have experienced, which is interpreting things a little bit differently in your 30s compared to, you know, I watched it for the first time when I was 20. Yeah. And, you know, watching it as a 35 year old, there are characters that I despised and wished <laughs> dead that uh, now I kind of get. Right, and then there right. are other, other characters that I find a little annoying that I, I didn't find annoying then. So. Um, speaking of wishing people dead, are we? Do we have a vict- <laughs> Do we have a, a verdict on spoilers? Oh well, I'm glad you brought it up. And what's funny about this is I already co- recorded next week's episode, so I have that somewhat in the bag already. And if if what Megan's referring to is I, I did like a, a True Blood somewhat crossover episode that I released for for the Fourth of July holiday, and I kind of started with, "Hey, I think we need to start moving into to spoiler territory because a lot of what ha- starts to happen now, uh, uh, you know, shapes shapes the end of of our show." Uh, Let's, yes, because you know what, it's, it's, I mean, man, we're talking, the show is 15 years old now, I think the spoiler alert, uh, I don't know, like I said, I, I'm repeating a lot of what I said already, but, uh, um, you know, I somewhat prided myself in not talking spoilers, and now there's so much that comes in where it's just like, you know, we don't have to just talk about what happens later, but there are parts that, 
you know, hey, this kind of reference, this, this, what later. So that being said, and, and I guess I'm going to have to put a, a spoiler tag before the episode. Uh, yes, we, we, we're going to lift that, that, that veil off. Um, <laughs> I, I want to say, right. I want to say like the biggest, like what the <laughs> biggest spoiler is. And I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, and you're a little nervous because you haven't done it yet. Yes, and I don't. I don't. You know, uh, if I'm someone who follows the the podcast, and I hadn't, I would be a little mad. But also, like you've had 15 years, so <laughs> we, we you know, can't... I can't go like two days after a television show without finding out the spoilers. So, <laughs> so yes, yes, uh, we we could go ahead and and you know we'll lift that off. And um, I'm just hoping. I'm hoping what this doesn't do is everyone that becomes a, a guest on the future just wants to talk about the finale <laughs> that's like my biggest my biggest fear because you know i want to leave that um and what happens but yes thank you for bringing it up and i'm hoping do you have stuff in this episode that refers to uh spoilers later on um i think there were literally just one reference okay um, a little bit later in the Nate, Lisa, Brenda. Okay, um, cool. Storyline, cool. but we yeah. can also skip it just as easily. There's so much great stuff in this episode to talk about. Yeah, I don't think we have to go there. But no, no, that's fine. To make sure you didn't have to then edit. Out, <laughs> no, you know, no, it's fine. Bring it up. up. No, no, bring it up because uh, uh, <laughs> Lord I... knows the technical portion of the podcast <laughs> is the most challenging part. Yep, yep. I guess with all of that being said, we can uh, get into the episode. Uh, this is, like I said, episode five of season three. This one's titled The Trap. Uh, I mean, just off the bat, the, the, the episode title, The Trap, is uh, not subtle for this episode, right? I mean... Yeah, it's a little on the nose. Yeah, and, and something Six Feet Under does great is like, and I've said it so many times on the podcast, there's an episode title. I'm just like, what are they talking about? What does that refer to? Uh, this one is... <laughs> I mean, I, even from this open and death capsule, right? Uh, just a little note, too, that there was uh, this episode was written by Bruce Kaplan, and he did uh, an audio commentary for this episode. I know I sent it to you, Megan. Did you get a chance to listen to it? Of course I did. Awesome. I'm nothing if not studious <laughs> before guest hosting uh, yes, a podcast. I, I should know that. I should know that, yes. <laughs> so there's just uh, some points here and there that I want to bring up. Um, but we could start out with the death capsule and... I mean, this this couple here is, I mean, they're sort of Nate and Lisa, would you agree? Well, absolutely. Um, there's Nate and Lisa kind of throughout, I think, the yeah. episode. Yeah. This is our first version of that. And we see that they're fighting. You know, the, the woman even says, you know, everything is my fault, everything in the entire world. And they're fighting about the wrong way they took on the trail, which you could sort of <laughs> even take that as symbolism. And they come across this old car. So so we see that this car opens up and, and there's a, I don't want to call it a pile of bones, a person that is now bones. What struck me as weird is that the guy is upright. And I just imagine at that point, the, the bones would have come down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he still looks like he's in the car driving, like he's holding the wheel. He has pants on. I think <laughs> I saw he has pants on. Oh, really? On. I have the episode on now, so I want to catch it. Uh, something I just doing research before we recorded. Uh, when they open the door, uh, we see a, a dove fly out, somewhat symbolizing Will's soul is free now that they refer to at the funeral later. But yes, we see here that uh, Will Jaffe, who is uh, God, the guy guy who plays Will. Do you know this? Because I know he was from. Oh, the... I do. I have I have a whole before they were stars. <laughs> yeah, this show is good. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of six degrees of separation. Kevin Bacon thing we can do here. So 
just from the death capsule alone. Wow. Backing okay. up to the couple that um, were arguing. So the man looked very familiar to me, and he was actually in Sex in the City, wow. a character named Skipper in the very early seasons. Also a Geico caveman. <laughs> and, and I thought this was interesting because in the episode immediately prior to this one, um, the Olivier's friend, the artist who came in and they all went to dinner. Yes, um, yes. Charlotte's Evan boyfriend. Handler was mm-hmm. Charlotte's husband in Sex mm-hmm. in the City. Mm-hmm. So a couple Sex in the City actors um, in two consecutive episodes. Uh, but as you mentioned, William Jaffe is played by Josh Radner, um, yeah. who was Ted Mosby in How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> um, How I Met Your Mother, a show, just to go back to your True Blood podcast, uh, is one that really limped to the finish line, and I kept watching it, <laughs> but I like really was over it. Um, mm. If it weren't for Barney, uh, I don't think I would have kept watching How I Met Your Mother because mm-hmm. I found the actor who plays William Jaffe in The Death Capsule absolutely insufferable. Um, wow. But then to go down <laughs> the six degrees of separation, fun fact. Go on. I'm on a roll now. Yeah, no, keep going. <laughs> Francis Conroy played Barney's mom on How I Met Your Mother. Whoa, look at that. Fun fact. And then a second degree of separation, Ben Foster, who's the actor that plays Russell, is engaged to Laura Prepon from that 70s show in Orange is the New Black. And she played a girlfriend of Ted Mosby, a.k.a. William Jaffe, on How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> That's why I wish I had sound effects, because there should be a, cloud, a crowd cheering and clapping right now. That is so Wow, that is we're not even at a death capsule yet and it's it's all I watch connected. a lot of TV. <laughs> wow, that is that is great. Uh, um <laughs> I didn't even mean to just throw the 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 Will Jaffe character on you. I just cuz I know other people watched How I Met Your Mother and he looked he obviously looked familiar. Um that's great. I have nothing to add. That is that is that is wonderful. Thank you for that. Uh, question for you on the bones, mm-hmm. as since you brought it up in the death capsule, mm-hmm. and let me know if this is getting ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a scene a little bit later um, at the funeral home where Claire brings in a box of bones mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to Rico, and Rico's mm-hmm. working with another um, deceased. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to ask you, have you, what is the kind of longest since deceased person that you've worked with, um, if you can say? Wow. I mean, uh-huh. uh huh. I have two things on that. One, uh, I have, I actually have in my notes that there was a, there's a, um, uh, not a story as much as like a happening with bones that I've had in my career. The longest, I don't know, because. I mean, I've never, never certainly something like this where it's 25 years. Uh, I did have something somewhat recent where 25 years we, uh, we, we disinterred someone, which is we removed someone from the grave or, or like in, in a mausoleum and placed them. Actually, we removed them from a mausoleum and then cremated them. Oh, somewhat 20 years. And, and something was that is because the, the, the other family member was going to take the plot. So that, I mean, it's not... That's a thing? Yeah. Surprisingly so, yes. Where it's something where... Oh, I don't remember the, 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 the specifics of it. I'm not sure the wife and the husband got along, but it was within her right to go ahead and remove him and for her to be placed in there. And then he ended up being <laughs> cremated 20 some odd years later. Uh, never, I've never had anything like this where you know someone got found years later days later yes i've had that not years later like this uh uh-huh 
my undergraduate degree was in nursing mm-hmm. uh, before I went to law school. And my absolute favorite day, um, I think it was our community nursing program, we got to spend the day at the morgue and watch the autopsies. Okay. And I saw a couple, and they had to autopsy, I think, all suicides or, you know, suspicious yeah. deaths. Right. And I saw a few, a few that were a week old. And that was certainly an experience I will never forget from an olfactory sense or visually. I mean, it is seared in my memory. Right, right. Um, so I can only imagine what you've seen because those bodies presumably go to you or yeah, someone in your profession when they're done there. Yeah. Uh, um, definitely, I would say in terms of someone who's been dead longer or whatever, or, or just, uh, uh, let's just say grotesque, right? Uh, definitely the medical examiner sees that before we do. Uh, in your in your case, do you remember where you were seeing the autopsies? I'm assuming it was a state county. Uh, it was yeah, it was at the county morgue. Yeah, I think and it was that's in Washington County in Michigan. And and, and and it's good that you brought that up because there's a clear there's difference between what I am a funeral director and like what they are in the show and medical examiners. You know, medical examiners are more. I guess some people know them as coroners. They're the ones who pick up and do the autopsies, whatnot. We get the bodies after they do the autopsy. Um, so there's, you know, I don't do the autopsies. I've seen autopsies in person and whatnot, but I'm not, you know, they're the ones who come to the scene and pick up, they'll pick up, you know, like for instance, this, the medical examiner would come here to pick up these bones after being investigated and everything. That wouldn't have been Claire. Well, Claire, (laughs) Claire picked them up from the, presumably, right? Uh, from the medical examiner's office, sometimes in small towns, what they basically have is like the funeral home will have a contract to pick, you know, do removals on behalf of the, the county. So an instance like maybe, maybe I'm assuming this is Los Angeles and, you know, they have a whole large, there's a lot of people there. Um, uh, the, the, the coroner here would come and pick them up. In a small town, let's make it the middle of Wisconsin. Maybe a funeral home has that contract where they would come. Uh, but they would still go to a, a, a morgue. They wouldn't come to the funeral home. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> no, Sorry, I got you no, no, it's, no, no, it's good because, I mean, like you said, too, like you said before we were recording that, you know, to elaborate some more on the funeral stuff. And uh, I, I my, my little note was my story of bones, which, I mean, I guess since we're here, I might as well say it, right? Uh, the most interesting thing I've ever had in, in terms of bones, I used to work in New York, New York City. Well, I a borough of New York City. And, you know, man, I want to say it was five years ago now, we got a call to to New York City where we had a bone fragment. When I say fragment, it was like a, literally a little piece that fits in your hand. And it was from uh, 9-11, the World Trade Center. And what it basically was is they have this I'm doing this with my hands, but you can't see it. This large tent like facility that is still going through all the rubble from 9-11 and every once in a while if they come across a piece of bone and they are able to um locate who that person was they they do it through the system and everything and then it gets released and they get the whole 9-11 treatment um so that was like whoa this person had died you know what 10 12 years ago at the time um that was interesting. When I when I when she had brought, brings in the bones into the the embalming room, that was something. And I was like, oh man, I, you know, that's that's something interesting that most people probably don't think of, especially with nine eleven. You know, 
Um, but just a fragment. They were able to tell whose fragment it was. That's amazing. Through DNA and all that stuff, you know. And I think a few years earlier, and this was somewhat little, I don't want to say creepy, but uh, I had gotten like a, basically a, a piece of a skull. And I was like, you know, how the hell they were able to determine who this person was and what clothes, I guess. And, and you know what? In somewhat relation to this episode, imagine digging up all that feelings again. You know, here they're, they're 25 years and we see what the wife goes through. But imagine if you went through all that trauma of 9-11 and then years later they show up and they have a piece of, you know, your loved one. Um, yeah, you're really just reopening that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So what do you, so what do, you do with the fragment? Uh, um, somewhat somewhat like, like they do here, you treat it, you treat it as if they were, they died the other day. You know, here we see like there's a casket and maybe the the bones are in there or, you know, you still hold if you want to. Right. Because I'm I'm speaking from the funeral home side where we could still do a full funeral like we would have done if back in 1970, whatever here. Or you just do a, a cremation where it's just whatever you can bury it. You know, uh, you treat it. You treat it still as if that is the person, even though it's, you know, pieces of what he was. Yeah, and I think David said, you know, you bury things with them, or I mean, I just yeah, yeah, it just seems like brings, a pretty unusual circumstance. Yeah, he brings the suit and everything, because you know what's funny about that is like, well, where's the line of demarcation? Because, you know, let's say someone who died today in a plane crash, and we never are able to retrieve the any part of the body. Well, what if that happened? And you know, let's say today we would have a whole funeral. What if that happened a year ago? Uh, what if what if someone lost you know what I mean They're, what's it's kind of fuzzy and whatever so it's kind of nice that they they go through a whole funeral and I am someone who believes in the closure um, to you know maybe you don't have something as elaborate as a funeral like this that we see in the episode but just something even even if something as a dinner you know uh, just somewhat form of closure you know and then I'm also actually right now sitting in my home office and right next to me is a uh, uh, Kind of homage we put together with my grandfather's younger brother's uh, World War II materials, and mm-hmm. so he was 19, and you know, very young man. He actually passed away, was killed in Iwo Jima, um, very famous battle, mm-hmm. and so his Purple Heart is on the wall, and so is the telegram that my great grandparents received, telling them that he had died. Wow! But his, the funeral uh, card from his funeral is from two years later when his body came back and I've always just been really fascinated and anyone who knows anything about it in my family has now passed away about that they they waited years until his body came back to do the funeral and I just that's interesting I don't I, I wonder what that was like if that was just typical or when you say funeral I wonder I wonder if some of that is what the uh, uh, how do I say this uh, if there was any military honors because um uh, you know, any any veteran is entitled to uh, full uh, f- military honors where whatever branch of service they served in, they come and they do a flag folding ceremony. They play taps and everything. Uh, I'm, I'm j- just, you know, my little bit of knowledge of what you said and, and my knowledge in the funeral industry, I'm thinking maybe like the, the, f- the, the military honors and whatnot like that took two years because they don't, the, the military didn't presume him dead until whatever these two years that had passed. Um, but yeah, inter- I'm just so interested in it. I'm looking yeah. at the Western Union telegram from 1945. Um, 
you know, a couple weeks after he passed away. And then I'm looking at the, the funeral card saying funeral services at the you know, Queen's Church, mm-hmm. May 1948. So quite some time passed. And I know, too, like in the state of Florida, um, you know, if I go missing today, my date of death isn't until they find me, despite me like maybe going away today. That state of Florida, every state is different, but sometimes it's the day that they're found. But they declared him dead already. So that's kind of how whatever amount of investigating you'd want to do. But that's just what I think off the top of my head. But OK, cool. You might have just solved a family mystery. <laughs> I've it could be it really could be. kind of intrigued by that. <laughs> That's what we do on this podcast. We solve family mysteries. <laughs> See, mission accomplished. <laughs> Only 20 minutes in. What else? <laughs> it's like a therapy session. We're not even out of the death capsule yet. This is so funny. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's move into like what the what the the episode starts out with, right? Uh, and I wanted if you had picked up on this, and I know he had said this in the in the commentary. Uh, the episode starts out with this like this shot on this wooden dummy uh i forget what he called it on 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 the commentary i think it, i don't puppets. know puppets puppets but i think there was something a word with an m marionette i don't know if that's mm-hmm. the right word yeah i think that's right uh to me it looked like the dummy from night of living dead from goosebumps but i'm <laughs> you know i know they weren't going for that but you know what struck me as really odd is when um basically uh we see we see russell talking to claire and what russell russell's asking claire to come to his brother's wedding I think I have his brother's wedding, right? Uh, yes, brother's wedding. And, you know, he's doing it in the most <laughs> awkwardest way possible. And, and Claire agrees. When Claire's agreeing and she's, like, looking at him and smiling, all of a sudden it struck me that that puppet looks kind of just like Claire, like Claire's big cheeks and, and all that, oh, I you didn't know? Catch, I didn't catch that. But I don't think uh, that was the intent because if uh, on the on the commentary is that – and and what I loved about the commentary too and the writer is that a lot of the stuff is supposed to be ambiguous. Like you, there is no – you know, Claire does this because she's tired. It's more like, well, whatever you think about it. Uh, what the writer seemed to intend was that Olivier is playing them like puppets, which, you know, we, we could talk about during the episode. But to me, with just when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, with those big cheeks, it looks just like Claire, you know? Well, if he was playing them like puppets, it might make sense. Right, a little on right. the nose. But I think a lot of, of the content, as you mentioned in this episode, is pretty literal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Olivier is... I mean, he's <laughs> so. What, what we see here is he 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 makes Claire his assistant, and we'll get into later of <laughs> what exactly an assistant entails. But I mean, he's somewhat trying to drive a wedge between. You know, he sees them getting along, and he just comes in. You know, Claire, will you be my assistant? And it obviously makes Russell mad, jealous. I don't know what you would say. Well, these are art students. They've got a lot of. <laughs> No matter what the situation is. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, I think Olivier can very easily play them, right? They're, yeah. you know, they look up to him. They you know, are just balls of emotion. But yeah, I think Russell was disappointed. But, uh, you know, spoiler here, you know, he kind of gets back to Claire. Oh, yes. A he definitely <laughs> does. Yep, yep. Uh, so he shouldn't feel too bad. He's going <laughs> to serve it back up in a couple of episodes. Uh, just, I mean, we, we, we sort of, we, we went forward, but I just want to go back a moment when uh, Will Jaffe's wife is here making the arrangement. I love the way David was like overselling on caskets. And it's kind of like they didn't want, they almost didn't want any part of this. And then you kind of just kind of see his like, uh, his come down back to earth when she says he's Jewish. And he's like, well, fine, I guess it's the cedar. 
And like, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's like, whatever. That was like also very stereotypical. I don't know that that would be on, you know, that might be on TV in 2017. It was a little rude. Well, yeah, yeah. And it was just kind of, you know, yeah. I I mean, I guess the way too that they paint the funeral industry here, that's that's a horrible way. You know, it's like, oh, I guess Jewish, whatever. Here's your casket. Fine. Here's your plain cheap one. I mean, this is really playing into a very negative stereotype. Um, And, you know, kind of both ways, right? About Jewish people as well as the funeral industry. Yeah, yeah. You know, trying to rip you off at any any cost with, you know, caskets or whatnot. When when his wife, I never caught her name, but Will Jaffe's wife is, is talking about when they were married, she said she i mean she really hits it on the nose here right one of these couple she says we are we were one of those couples that got married for all the wrong reasons you even see nate it hit nate great physical emoting where just his face kind of tells you it hits him like oh my god this is speaking to me i am i am in that relationship <laughs> one of those couples that got married for all the wrong reasons yeah and we see that later in the episode when he's mm-hmm. having a drink with brenda yeah yeah um, he really kind of explains that for those of us that didn't pick up on his face in that scene. <laughs> now, let me ask you, because there's something I, I found that so odd. Uh, she asked, you know, could he have... Well, this is the wife of the, the man who, who went lost, Will. And the wife is saying how, you know, maybe she could have been out seeing someone. And Nate's... You know, she kind of asked Nate, and Nate's like, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. David goes... <laughs> David goes, he could have been. Why? I, I never... Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> if he was trying to sell them more, I could understand. And and that's kind of where my mind went. Is kind of like, hey, you really need this funeral, so let me make that your husband left you for this. I don't know. That was the only connection I could make. Um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out either. I mean, I think there have been many scenes in the show leading up to this where, you know... Nate is kind of learning the ropes from David in this arena and David's always very serious and professional and Nate has been the one that like really tries to connect with people on a feelings level and kind of you know says things that I imagine in those situations are not you know common or appropriate so that to me seemed like more of a Nate line than a David line David would typically play it a little more straight um in those situations. And he kind of even says it like... Straight snu- like professional. Straight, not... Like right, right, right. <laughs> yes, yes. Because <laughs> we know he's not doing that. Right, right. Uh, moments after this, we see that Rico, uh, Claire is somewhat stepping back from her temp job. And, you know, we've kind of talked about it before. We've talked about the bones that Claire brings in before. Uh, if you heard on the commentary that they had a funeral specialist on the set and he would always tell them whatever. And I'm so glad that he commented on this because I was like, what is he doing? Uh, they have they they said that they have Rico doing something in every scene in regards to in the embalming room and they you know never have him doing something twice he's always doing something uh, in the next episode he's just brushing hair here he's just literally putting water on legs yeah I was like is he Windex body <laughs> like there, it was yeah. a very gray body also I right mean, a lot of times um, I mean. Some of the bodies that they have um, in the scenes, like you can still see them breathing. Yeah, they don't yeah. Look necessarily dead to me, but yeah. that one was very gray. Uh, you you could always tell by the eyes because if you look, sometimes they're like they're, they're trying not to blink, and that in their uh, 
their their eyes move, just like the lid. I've always I see I see it a few times where you can just see the lid moving. Uh, but th there's two things here. One, Rico, I have no idea what Rico's doing. You would be watering a you would be somewhat watering down a body if you were in the process of embalming. Uh, being that they only show the legs, I really don't know why he was doing that. Secondly, uh, I, I think I spoke about this the previous episode. The amount of work that goes into a funeral home, there's no way it's only the three of them. There's so much other stuff to do. At literal, at, at, at minimum, you need a maintenance man. Someone who's kind of just cleaning up, keeping the, you know, the funeral home and the outside tidied up. Um, but here's where we get to, I guess, is this your, <laughs> could I label this your favorite character? Or Arthur? <laughs> Arthur Martin is my favorite television character of all time. <laughs> Hands down. That's why I'm here today. That's yes. why I begged yes. you to let me uh, do this episode because mm -hmm. it is Arthur Martin's first episode. Um, he's my most beloved Six Feet Under character. Um, and I do like many of them. And it also features Lisa, who during my first watching of the show was my most hated character. Oh, yep, yep, uh, yep. So I, I like the juxtaposition. And in my revisit... Um, Arthur still has my heart and I'm not as annoyed by Lisa. So I've grown a little bit, I suppose, in yeah, some, yeah. some ways, but I'm very true to Arthur. And I think uh, Rain Wilson plays this character perfectly. Um, and I think that a lot of the attributes he has today, going back to the episode that you did with um, was it David about kind of how it would be different now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know that Arthur would be the same today if they did this show again. So I'm very grateful that in that moment in time, it was that character with that actor. Well, it's funny you say that because on the commentary, he had said that Arthur was originally supposed to be like a goth, goth kid, sort of. And they were just like, I don't know where to go with that sort of goth character in here. Um, let's back up just a moment because there, there's, there's the part where Rico... Uh, is I don't does he say crunching numbers and then David says you yeah, know how to crunch so and then da <laughs> and David's like you know how to crunch numbers and you know what it just this is totally off the cuff here I don't know if you had watched The Office uh, when well, Michael the, the did you watch The Office or no oh obviously uh, when there, there's when my, the Michael Scott paper company out and they go to the, their 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 business is falling and they go to an accountant and he goes can you crunch these numbers and the guy does it and he's like crunch them again press enter and he's like crunch <laughs> that just reminded me of this um this part here where, they, where they're, they're talking about you know rico's proposing an, an intern or resident of sorts let me say this too when i went to school in pittsburgh i had somewhat sort of this situation uh the school i went to was down the street literally and the funeral home we a bunch of us worked at the funeral home and we were sort of upstairs in the funeral home um and we all lived together it was sort of like dorming you know the funeral homes the reason why they're called homes is because you know people used to live there upstairs and whatnot um so uh it, it brought me back a little bit to this like you know being shown to your room or whatever and you're living, I, I wasn't living with family, but I was living with other mortuary students. <laughs> Did the family give you very detailed instructions on the house once you moved in? Well, I mean, <laughs> what's funny about that is anyone, to anyone else, these, these uh, instructions or whatever, they'd kind, you'd kind of be like, did I make a mistake? But to Arthur, it's like, thank you, <laughs> you know? And he, he kind of, he, he enjoys the instructions and all the detailed notes and, you know, the note about the, the third drawer has to be lifted up or whatever. 
I mean, it's perfect for is a perfect match for Arthur and Ruth. Absolutely, and I and just to go back to our comment about how Arthur might be different, you know, he's he's really sweet, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. he's empathetic, and he understood when Ruth was telling him, you know, what bowls to use. And he asked if there was one that shouldn't be used. And yeah. it was you know, David's special bowl. And yeah. he was also able to tell that she preferred one of the meal times over the other. And so he was really sweet and uh, creepy in some ways, right? <laughs> because he's just an odd kid. Yeah. But it, it it's sweet in this show. And I think that had he been a goth or had it been today, he probably would have some like weird secret. Yeah. Um, and his you know secret is frankly, and this goes, this is probably my favorite line of the episode is that he's just a little homeschooled. <laughs> and what Rico with the great line, well, you seem a little homeschooled. <laughs> what a great that was like line. like a mic drop moment for uh, Rico. Uh-huh, it was so good. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I remember this relationship, the Arthur and Ruth relationship, coming sort of from out of left field. But what I picked up this time around is as Arthur is introduced, uh, you know, he's he's looking at this old woman on the embalming table. And he even mentions an elderly woman who yelled at him. So kind of like his first introduction into the show, you know, there's two instances of old woman right there. And then older, right? Let me, I don't want yeah. to call them old. And then when Ruth walks in, there's... I don't want to say there's a connection, but it's kind of like, hey, look at these two characters. Uh, on, I imagine more people, when they hear funeral director, I imagine more people think I would be someone like Arthur more than, uh, I'm not going to say me, not Arthur, right? Like, w- wouldn't you think Arthur is like somewhat the prototypical, if you have never met a funeral director and you don't think there's someone old with a mustache? Yeah, you know, I think my assumption of who would go into uh, the industry today isn't an Arthur necessarily. Okay. Um, I would think so. I mean, that's just not what I would imagine. I don't know anybody. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've met you now, uh, (laughs) but I don't know anybody my age other than um, the family I grew up with that had a funeral home. Yeah, yeah. I would think that people that are interested in it could be from a variety of backgrounds. Either you know they had an experience in their life where mm-hmm. you know a funeral home impacted them positively or maybe negatively, and they've decided to go into it because they feel like they can be helpful to a family. Yeah. Or maybe someone who is a little goth or into the macabre, or, you know, just kind of really comfortable with the darker aspects and fascinated by them. Right. Right. Um, you know, Arthur wouldn't be who I would assume, but I'm really glad that he was there because he's amazing. <laughs> uh, we see uh, Rico cur- curses a little bit. He just goes, these collagen lips, they're such a bitch. And then Arthur looks like he got taken to a new hemisphere. And, and it's so sweet. <laughs> you know, what did so you say? Cute. My 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 aunt my aunt would have tarred me for that language. Yes. <laughs> aunt Pearl. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, after his uh, orientation of sorts, he doesn't... Uh, I guess there's a moment, too, where... Oh, no, see, that is after. Because I feel like Arthur doesn't come back until the end when Bettina is leaving. Do I have that correct here in my notes? Yeah, so they do the, the home tour mm-hmm. and the introductions. And then later in the episode, you're right, there's the scene where he's in the kitchen during his mealtime and... and Bettina wants to go down and have coffee, but it's not the set time. So they they have to wait seven minutes before they yes. can have coffee. And Bettina's like, 
fuck that. Like, I'm not waiting for coffee seven minutes. Uh, it's a, yeah. it's pretty funny that Ruth set up all these rules in her own home. Uh, something about that seven minutes because, well, let, let, let's back up a little bit. Uh, so Bettina can't wait seven minutes for her coffee and they, they are sort of spying on, on Arthur and Arthur is just being Arthur, right? Just quirky and weird. Um, he's kind of picking at his teeth and everything. Uh, uh, Bettina's line, which I love, we're all voyeurs at heart, just dying to see other people's fucked up private shit. <laughs> yeah. That well, is... I just love uh. Bettina. And I know she's been in some of the previous episodes and she'll continue to factor into mm-hmm. the show um, through the very end. But I just love her relationship with Ruth. And I think of all of the various, you know, special relationships that Ruth has had throughout the series. In the beginning, it was, you know, Nick and Hiram. And, yeah. Um, you know, we're certainly coming into a more serious relationship with a man mm-hmm. um, in later in later seasons. But I think Bettina really does bring out the best in Ruth. Yeah. And ne- next week's episode, uh, when is her birthday? <laughs> um, what do you mean? And, um, I just think the episode where Ruth is celebrating her birthday. Is that next um, week? No, I think that was last week. Last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, th- that episode, I think, really showcases just how she really brings out the best in Ruth. And I, yeah. it makes Ruth really happy because Ruth is often very sad. And just seeing them giggling on the stairs and spying on, you know, nerdy Arthur, even though it was at the expense of my favorite character, I just thought it was so... <laughs> I loved that for Ruth. Well, yeah. I mean, even when she goes to hug Bettina... I feel like, and I feel like I've said this a few times on the on the on the on the podcast, but I feel like I've never seen that. Like that was a genuine "I'm gonna miss you" hug. And even the way she, you know, she says like, "I couldn't." There's no one else in my life I could spy on Arthur with. Um, yeah, they. She really has like a, a true. I, I I don't even say a friend, like a soulmate of sorts. You know. Um, Absolutely. And that's not something I picked up on my first watch of the absolutely. show. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, and now that I'm watching it, I, I think that's very sweet. Um, I don't like them laughing at Arthur. I still <laughs> feel very protective of him. Um, <laughs> but I, I really appreciated uh-huh. that relationship. And what's funny is Bettina is gone. Let's 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 uh, presume it's it's a day. Let's because let's assume uh, that she leaves somewhat. Uh, uh, let's say afternoon of a Wednesday. To me, it's Thursday. It's the next day, Thursday, and again, that, with that seven minutes, it's one oh seven, and Ruth is literally staring at the clock, like she kind of doesn't know what to do with herself, and, and it's the start of her breaking. You know, I guess everything she set up for Arthur with the scheduling and when you can eat lunch and whatnot. Um, you know, she she kind of, I don't want to say uh, intrudes on. I guess she does, right? She intrudes on Arthur's lunchtime, and <laughs> Arthur. The, the lingo here was kind of funny because Arthur goes, um, would you like a little frittata? And Ruth says, I would love a little frittata. Um, we'll see, you know, <laughs> this relationship definitely uh, goes more over the course of the next episode. Uh, something that we, I guess we sort of skipped over, being that we're somewhat in the middle here. Uh, the episode being titled The Trap. And we sort of see everyone's trapped in their own way in this episode. You would agree with that? Yes. And sort of the the the... The not so subtle way is is the mo- the mouse traps that's placed around the house. Um, What's the least subtle way? <laughs> um, and here is when uh, you know a, a a mouse gets caught in the trap, and Arthur says the same line Ruth did earlier in the episode: "Mice have germs; they deserve to die." <laughs> 
Now I'm a real animal lover, so I did oh, not love that yes, scene. yes, yes. That was that was hard for me. <laughs> oh, the next week is a rather big. Uh, there's a snake one. Never mind. Yeah, the sn- snakes I'm less warm and fuzzy towards, mm-hmm. although I don't like to see them brutally murdered <laughs> uh, <laughs> for no reason. Right. Uh, but the little mouse. I mean, the mouse looked pretty fake, so it wasn't. Yeah. That yeah. sad, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely. I'm on the board of our local animal shelter. I have mm-hmm. five pets. Oh, I, I have a heart for animals. So <laughs> not my favorite part of the episode. Uh-huh. And maybe that's where Arthur and I differ. Yep, yep. Uh, I guess that somewhat wraps up their storyline, if there's anything else. I know I know Arthur's your, your, your main dude, so... Um, I think that's it for this episode, but yeah. I, I may try to convince you to let me weigh in on them. <laughs> maybe I'll send you emails with thoughts. Yep, yep, that's fine. <laughs> I guess we can move to David and Keith and what's going on there. Uh, David is performing with his men's choir, and we see that after practice, he kind of gets ripped for his, I guess, quote-unquote, perfect solo. Somewhat, that's kind of what goes on with him and Keith. I mean, the way Keith says it, and again, I'm jumping all the way at the end here, but Keith is like, you know, we can't be everything for each other. I I guess, let's start here. When he gets, (laughs) he gets invited out for drinks um, from another... I only caught the name of Terry. I don't know what the blonde guy's name was. Um, they're out for drinks, and then we find out that this Terry and David know each other from the past. And it yes. was uh, David. <laughs> David. Uh, uh, uh-huh. My favorite part of this scene, though, before mm-hmm. we get to um, how they came to know one another, mm-hmm. were there are a few great dated references. Ooh. I'm always on the lookout in these episodes. Yeah, for, of course. You know, Quite a bit of time has passed, and uh-huh. it's one thing to just look at the flip phones. Uh, that's very <laughs> obvious, or the you know the computers in the in their office. And, yeah. and I think even then, the kitchen and things were made to look more dated than yeah. they should. Yeah. Um, but a couple, just a couple things in this episode, I thought were dated. Okay. Um, I think it really kind of played true to life. But two things in this a particular conversation with the gentleman in the. Uh, L.A. Gay Man's Chorus um, mm-hmm. and David. One was when the one gentleman excuses himself and leaves the, the two of them who know each other um, from prior times alone. He said, oh, he's obsessed with trading spaces. <laughs> yes, Remember that yes, show? Yes. Which is coming back now. Yeah, well, okay, go on because there's something else that I just noticed. Oh, too. and then go on. Where, they, where they met one another was in a bathroom at Sears. Well, yeah, that's what I was uh, just going to say. <laughs> How funny is that? <laughs> And he's like, we met, we we caught each other's eye in automotive, and then you know we're in the bathroom <laughs> near home appliances. Like I don't know that Sears sells that stuff anymore. They've really been like selling off parts of their business, and I don't even think I think there's one Sears in all of Chicago land now. I have a wow. friend whose husband works there, and they're just like waiting for him to be unemployed. So yeah, yeah. I thought those were two kind of funny um, references that. Trading Spaces is coming back, but I suspect Sears is not. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, the, the the Trading Spaces one, one, the Trading Spaces one went over my head, but the Sears one, I was like, man, how funny is that? Like, <laughs> this is already gone. Like, you know, and if you pick up this show ten years from now, who knows what else? You know. Yeah, uh, well, uh, the next episode, Ruth picks something up at Blockbuster. <laughs> yep, uh, yep, yep. Which I worked there in college. I think I worked at Blockbuster when this episode came out. Oh, how funny. So. <laughs> that was like my best crappy job. <laughs> uh, something I, people always forget is, you. everyone remembers going to Blockbuster, but uh, when you didn't find your video, you could always check in the returned like oh, the, yeah. the ones that the, the, I guess, people like you hadn't put out back out yet. And there's always, you know, you'd go through the titles and whatever and hoping it was there. 
Oh, Blockbuster. There's still one. Have you seen that? There's one in like no. a Ala- there's one in like Alaska or something. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I love I loved working there. It was first of all like it required like no thought. You know, you could come in in any co- you know, collegiate state of mind right. and accomplish the task of like straightening shelves, putting things on the shelves. <laughs> Um, scanning them out. But I, I learned a few things. One, mm-hmm. the biggest perk was that the uh, tapes come in, like the movies that are coming out every Tuesday, yeah. are in the back for a month before they're put out. So I got all of the free rentals of movies that weren't uh, out yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pretty sweet perk. Uh-huh. And uh, the other thing I learned is that anyone behind the counter is empowered to make your late fees go away. <laughs> like the Oh, so the pe- depending on how nice you are or weren't, yeah, so yeah. you can be real nice. Um, but my favorite part, and this tells you that I'm um, a little funny, is that there were people that would return the wrong movies mm-hmm. in the Blockbuster containers. So you may want to edit this out, but... <laughs> or not, you know, it's up to you. You're in control here. So, you know, sometimes people would put, like, the wrong movie. So no big deal. You rented 101 Dalmatians and Jumanji, and they're in this wrong one. No problem. I can swap those out. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people would put in a film that they had rented from a different video store. Uh Uh-huh. And there was an adult video store in the same mini mall. (laughs) And so you would open up 101 Dalmatians, and you'd see it's, like, barely legal on vacation. So... (laughs) So, like, a lot of people that I worked with were, like, kind of shy people, but they knew I, was, I wasn't. I was Right. So, one of my favorite things when I came in for my shift was to call the, the people that returned the wrong film and let them know <laughs> what they had done. And I really, I, this probably tells you I'm kind of a sick person, I really relished telling them, oh, like, hey. Oh, God. Oh, how embarrassing, but how This funny. is what you have done. So, um, yeah, go ahead and edit that if you want. <laughs> That was, a, that was a good time, yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. I don't All even right, know so where were you? David I have and no Keith. idea. Yeah. <laughs> we're, the, the, we're at the conversation <laughs> of how they knew one another, and they had caught eyes in the Sears, the Sears, and the, then had relations in the Sears bathroom. Right. And David, at first, uh, he, he denies it. And I, not remembering how this, you know, my first time watching this um, uh, for the podcast, I really thought David did forgot. Like, I, I forget what ended up happening. Did you, I guess, what's your theory on why David denies it up until he doesn't anymore? Just because it's, it's embarrassing. Embarrass- but I mean, <laughs> if you get confronted about it, like, it, it'd be different if it's like his friend came over and said, hey, I know how you know Terry, but there's only two people that know it here, no? Yeah, I, I just think he was shy. I mean, he wasn't out at the beginning right, of the, right. the series. He's newly out. I think he's just, you know, he was ashamed about that behavior. So I think he just was pretending that it wasn't him to see if it would true, go away. True, true. Yeah. I just, um, <laughs> I, I, I like I like when he admits later. It's like, you know, fine. That was me. Uh, but I wonder if, if, if the Keith aspect had anything to do with it. Because uh, we see here that uh, David comes home and Keith can't make his performance, I guess we'll call it. Um Keith uh, anticipates the blowback, you know, and Keith is like, oh, I can't make it. Please don't, you know, he, he knows David is about to bring this onslaught of, of, I guess, emotions or feelings, right? And it's funny, and, and this is always something I, I take into account. Uh, the director had kind of, uh, the commentary noticed how we talk to people how they anticipate 
how it's going to receive, you know, because David is like, no, no, it's actually okay that you can't. And Keith, with the word saying, I can't make it, fully expecting this somewhat of a fight to kind of break out. Well, they use a lot of therapy. Right, right, right. (laughs) I I think he says it too, right? You know, we're making progress. I think it's this in this kitchen scene, whatever. The relief that David had, though, when Keith can't make it. Um, was palpable, especially when they hug. And, you know, Keith is just so glad that David's, you know, making progress. And David's just, like, so glad that he's not going to have this awkward situation where Sears Bathroom boy um, be there. could, you know, mm-hmm. say something that might embarrass mm-hmm. him with his, you know, hot, serious voice. <laughs> so. And we see that Keith can't make it because he has, uh, he's working his, at this point, you could just straight up call it his boring security neighborhood job. He gets called to a robbery in the neighborhood and him and this other guy, Dion, his fellow co-worker, show up late and it it's kind of sad, right? How like the air is let out of Keith when he shows up and there's no quote unquote action, right? You just sort of see everything sucked out of Keith. Well, I think I think a lot of it is, you know, he obviously has some emotions from no longer being on the police right. force and his identity as a police officer and when the police officers are clearly making fun <laughs> yeah, of them. Yeah. Like, I think that really bruised his ego, but he was a little, you know, too proud mm-hmm. to show it. Um, so I felt really bad for him. And frankly, I'm anxious for this, uh, se- you know, season in Keith's life to, to end and for him to move on to something else. Although what he moves on to Ooh. next in the, you know, kind of personal security <laughs> I don't like that storyline either, so I'm just... And, and I mean, no, I, I could, no offense to anyone, you know, what's funny about, like, you know, you say neighborhood security, and all we see, and they, they've kind of poked at it in the past, in an episode prior where, you know, Keith, the most, the most eventful part of Keith's day was, um, he sort of um, skims a, I don't know, I think it was a dead cat or something in a pool, and it's just showing the mundane, mundaneness, that doesn't, that's not a word. Sure, the mundaneness word. of his job, um, and and uh, basically what happens, uh, his coworker Dion, they're in this house and they're just he just wants to uh, break shit because they you know all these people's houses are perfect and everything, and he's kind of has a you know a fiery personality, a little bit of a temper, so I could see where he, this this job isn't letting mm-hmm. him uh, express some of those parts of his personality, but yeah, his whole like career i mean i know that's part of his storyline and it continues to be but i just kind of want to fast forward (laughs) that part and 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 really focus on his relationship with david i know this is to make him a more whole person to have you know the rest yeah rest of this but i i i much am much more excited about what's to come with their relationship and and I, I guess I guess to, to, to put a cap on, on on the David and Keith and I guess Keith with this security job, uh, it seems like the most the most action Keith had in his quote unquote career as a neighborhood security patrol is fighting his coworker. I imagine nothing else happened as action yeah. as this, you know, which is sort of telling of the job. Uh, the moment when Keith says he's not a cop anything there i just sort of found it a little weird he doesn't want to accept that part of him or is it just no what i mean or maybe it just it didn't matter he was just kind of (laughs) he's out whatever yeah i I wasn't really sure kind of the the reasoning behind that but maybe he just didn't want to Mm -hmm. go there kind of like how david didn't want to go there with the sears bathroom yeah yeah just not accepting a part of the past 
Uh, I don't remember what happens in this final scene, so if you have anything there. <laughs> that was not part of my notes. <laughs> oh, okay. So we both skipped over it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't know where it is here. Is that this episode then? Well, there was definitely a scene at the end where I think he asked how, you know, how did work go? How did the concert go? Yeah, so I yeah, think that's yeah. the scene you're thinking of, but it it was so mundane. I didn't take any notes. Yeah, I, didn't, okay. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, me neither. But so. I have lots of thoughts about the Nate and Lisa job sitch once we well. get to that storyline. <laughs> well, no, we, we, could, we, could, we could start there um, and uh, we welcome back uh, a new character. Well, a new character. We welcome back Brenda. It's our first time back in season three. Where, where Nate and Lisa start out is Nate is putting together furniture. And <laughs> Nate can't read the instructions, which, assuming it's Ikea, right? Have you ever put together Ikea furniture? It's rather easy. No? Um, you know, I have not. In okay. fact, um, in college, I paid one of my girlfriends to put together <laughs> no. an Ikea bookshelf for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> And she was happy to take like the 15 bucks. I was Hell happy yeah. to like sit back and read a magazine while Hillary was putting this together. So, um, no, I have been very successful in finding people to help me. I just never got the, the, the idea that Ikea furniture is so hard that, I mean, yeah, everything you buy, it even comes with little tools to make you do it. Like it's almost, you don't even need tools. They, they give you anything. Uh, but whatever, that's very small in the larger scale. But we see here that Nate has had made some <laughs> problem purchases on, on the credit card with Lisa. <laughs> she said, while he's doing that, what are you doing, honey? Lisa, I'm circling problem purchases on the Visa bill. And I think this is the type of thing that she would do when I watched this the first time where I was just like, what a bitch. Like, right, right. You know, who is this like person who's, you know, trapped Nate, like got pregnant with his baby. Like, I just, you think she's just like this horrible person. But then I think watching it now, I mean, I understood what she was doing and thinking. And my husband and I may have had similar conversations before. So I may have turned into her a little bit. <laughs> This is a, a rather normal problem, right? Where, where a couple is, a married couple is just talking about finances, but we see kind of like where it goes with it. It's, it's, it's one of many problems, right? For Nate and Lisa. Yeah, I would say, you know, the, the visa bill, I mean, is probably a very mundane thing. Mm -hmm. When my husband and I combined our finances, I'm mm -hmm. very much a, you know, like I check the balance every day and I balance my checkbook and I'm real annoying yeah. that way. Um, so I would at first be like, hey, what was this? Not because I was mad that the money was spent, but just because I was like nosy. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. it drove them nuts. And, right. w you know, we both got comfortable and that's not a thing anymore. But, you know, I do think this is probably pretty typical of marriages. What I think is atypical is what Nate learned from Ruth about Lisa's plans um, <laughs> with respect to going back to work. And, and man, I don't, oh, God. I mean, I, I put myself in Nate's shoes, and to hear that from my mother, right, to, to, to hear that, that my, my, my wife made a decision about being a stay-at-home mom without, <laughs> where I'm, like, second to find out, that would drive me mad. Uh, yeah, that, I stand by my, oh, Lisa, on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not on the visa bill. That one, I, I, I have some sympathy for her now, but the, the stay-at-home thing. And did you catch what Ruth said about the phrase, stay-at-home mom? Uh, what did she say? I, I, don't, I thought it was I kind of interesting and a, and a little feminist. It was, you know, she says that's what they're calling it now. I think that <laughs> sounds terrible. And, and she basically says a stay-at-home seems like you're just like locked in your house and you can't do anything else and that's all you're good for. So it was like, 
I mean, I think you could interpret it a number of ways, but it felt like a little feminist Ruth there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I guess that's where, if the show kept going, that's where Ruth was somewhat headed. Just I, I guess trying to be more independent. Um, just as as you were going along with words there, you could have said trapped, right? Yeah. Um, imprisoned as as a as a stay at home mom. The way my favorite line from the episode was the way kind of Nate his his demeanor really changes and he sort of gets really angry when he just he sort of you know snaps at her and says this is not a decision you can make without me that was like my favorite piece of dialogue from 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 the episode some of that what he said i felt like he was carrying also the fact that lisa was showed up 5 months pregnant you know, oh, there was there was sort of like you know this is not something you should be, you know, deciding on your own and just not telling me. Um, no, that was a great line. It's not as good as you seem a little homeschooled, <laughs> which was my epic line. <laughs> I'll put it up there with "Was your father a little person?" Right, when right. When the son <laughs> the, gave the uh, David the uh, bar mitzvah suit for the William Jaffe. Right, right. The next we see of Nate, he's at a record store and. I feel like I'm going to be surprised at my answer here. Uh, the last time you bought a CD at a store. Hmm. So it has been that long. No, I, I have... I listen to CDs in my car. I still have a CD changer, and I'm not, like, real... Oof. Now I'm into podcasts, so I've been right, doing right. podcasts. But I still have some CDs in my car. So I think I bought, like, a physical CD maybe a couple of years ago. <laughs> wow. Um, not... Not going to lie, I do buy Taylor Swift's new albums when they come to Target because they have bonus tracks. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so <laughs> I have a very eclectic music taste. Yeah, there's yeah. Taylor Swift in there, there's NWA, <laughs> there's the Hamilton, the Hamilton soundtrack is probably what I got most recently off of Amazon. But did you go into a store and like plunk down no. cash on your cart? So you no, bought it online? Have, yeah, I yeah, think the last see? time I went to a store was several years ago at this point. Yeah, because I mean, I bought I bought a CD I bought a CD last year, and it was a Red Hot Chili Peppers album. But again, I pre-ordered it online because it just came with just a shitload of uh, specials or or uh, whatever you want to call that bonus yeah. content. I can't remember the last. You know what? That's a lie. About four years ago, I was uh, in Philadelphia, and I was like in a used CD store, which well, those are still cool. I don't yeah, care and Nate was actually. Are. I think that's what Nate was looking at because. A lot of the CDs, as you notice when he's looking through them, have used stickers on them. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um, so I wondered if that was a, uh, you know, so that Lisa wasn't too mad that he was buying new albums. Right. <laughs> Who knows? He used to pay with things for, with cash. I don't know what he's thinking. Yeah, I mean, point. first of all, yeah. Particularly like why? <laughs> when he has a drink with Brenda, which she has like a very weird, Lisa has a very weird reaction when she sees the receipt later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you just pay with that with cash? Yeah, there is. I guess. I guess they, there's the moments where, when you're doing a podcast like this, like that's the most logical thing. Is why don't you? But in terms of writing, if he pays with cash, there's nothing to go off of story wise. So you got to make little, you know, little, little parts like that. Uh, let me rewind for a second because Nate is buying a Beck album at 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 the record store. Uh, which <laughs> I love the line from the woman. Uh, it's great for taking diet pills and cleaning your bathroom. Yeah. But when Nate's credit card swipes, uh, you know, she needs approval, whatever, and Nate envisions Lisa coming out. 
it's I, I I really like this this short little vision because it felt so real. I mean, knowing it's fake, knowing it's Lisa, and she's wearing even wearing like the record store t shirt like as she was working there, just kind of the way she just comes up and you know, again to to our point that we're saying that uh, uh, why wouldn't you just pay cash? Uh, <laughs> what's the line from Lisa? Oh, are you throwing away Maya's college for fucking Beck? <laughs> yeah, which is interesting. So. In terms of music references, you know, Beck is referenced there, but there's no Beck music in the episode. Mm-hmm. I think there's some in the season, mm-hmm. but not in this particular episode. And I think something that you and I talked about via email before I joined yes, you for this yes, podcast yes. was kind of my memories with respect to music in this show. Um, so, yeah, there was no Beck in this one, but I appreciated the, the reference at that time. There was, you know, a lot of new Beck music. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode, we hear a couple of Interpol songs yes. in Claire's car, um, the Eels in Claire's car. Obviously, Claire always has the best music because she was <laughs> like, she was like essentially my age when I watched it the first time. Right. Uh, this is when we see Brenda walk in. At first, I thought it was a vision. Did you? Yes. Yeah. She sort of just walks into the funeral home and she sort of uh, strong arms Nate into lunch and... Their conversation, uh, well, let me say this prior. I don't know if you had picked up on this when they're talking at the the mechanic garage sale, garage sale, the mechanic's garage and whatnot. Brenda is up against a car when they're just talking about sort of what's going on. Did you notice the car is looks a lot, awful lot like Brenda's that finished season two, like that little red hatchback? No, I didn't pick up on that at all. I don't know if it was intent because I feel like that would have been mentioned in the commentary. And again, it could just be me reading too much into it. But she's sort of like leaning up against this car that looks just like hers and it's all smashed up. Whether you want to throw symbolism into it saying that's that was their relationship, that's Brenda, I don't know. It's just something I was like, oh shit, look at that. That's a, a little red car exactly like Brenda had, you know. Um, I'll have to go back and watch that. This, the the, the lunch, the drinks they have. It's... For what had happened between them, and you know, this is sort of the second time post breakup that they've been together. Pretty amicable for the most part, where it's not. <laughs> you would just think there would be a lot more. I don't want to say violence, um, animosity towards each other. Well, I think she might have softened it when she made the comment, and I think this was also at the garage or maybe in the car that mm-hmm. you know she didn't know if he was alive. Yes, and yes. I think, I think that kind of dissipated a lot of the tension. Mm-hmm. It was very sweet in a way. So I think after she made that very kind of honest statement, they were able to, to be in that more amicable mm-hmm. state. And you know what's funny when she says that is that's sort of kind of what the wife said to Will Jaffe, right? Where we didn't know if he was alive for all this time. Like he just sort of left. Uh, wildly different circumstances here, but there's definitely two women here who didn't know that their fiance, husband, whatever was alive. Uh, Nate, Nate speaks about these prison moments, and and <laughs> I, I don't have a child, and I'm not married the way like Nate is, but I'd imagine just the way he speaks of, I mean, he sort of, he kind of goes dark, but he sort, you know, he also kind of says these are the moments you have to look back on, to, you know, to remind yourself it's all worth it. Um, <laughs> yeah, he made the reference to prison. You know, it is like prison, but it's also there's these times of feeling really safe, and you just have to have the safe times outweighing the prison times mm-hmm. yeah and then yeah. and then brenda says you know being alone is a prison yeah yeah 
And so it's funny that you can't it, win either way. Well, it's funny that they're both speak. They're both speaking about a prison term, uh, you know, and let's call prison right trapped from way different perspectives because we see Brenda sort of in traveling and whatnot, just trying to get a get out of her own head. But sort of the worst punishment for her is being alone. <laughs> I definitely like the line where Brenda, the hardest thing she's ever had to do is live with her mother. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. Now, let me ask you, because it seems uh, just doing, you know, reading over other message boards and whatnot, when the waiter looks at Brenda, how did you, and that and that's when, and then definitely right from the commentary, Nate's entire demeanor changes. The conversation, everything changes when Nate notices the waiter looking at Brenda. What do you think Nate, you, you could see it physically on Nate, right? Uh what do you think Nate's thinking there when he sees the waiter checking out Brenda? I think that was probably put in to make us think that he still has some feelings for her, notwithstanding, you know, he's now married and mm-hmm. with Lisa. Although I suppose the fact that they were, he gave her the time of day to go for the visit did that for me. Right, um, right. I didn't think too much further into it. So I don't, I don't know I, where I'm, I guess, I don't know if Nate ever knew what we know about Brenda but my mind went to like, oh, this is exactly the kind of thing where Brenda probably would have had sex with this guy. Because we saw last season, right? Brenda was just a sexaholic, if that's a word. Right. And Well, she even said to him when she was, you know, working the steps and making amends that, you know, she apologized, you know, for cheating on him and for sleeping right. with other people. So I think he has some sense of the extent of it. Yeah. I just, my mind went to like, wow, if this was, if you take Nate out of this, the way that waiter looks at Brenda, like season two, Brenda probably would be having sex with this guy in the next scene. Right, um, but like also series mm-hmm. pilot Brenda. And right, Nate, I, so. yeah, yeah. How funny is that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's really good. Uh, Brenda, we, we, and you know, and Nate finally, you know, what's this all for? What are we doing? And like you said, uh, Brenda's here to make amends. Uh, I think it's pretty underst- It's pretty human, uh, not humanizing. This is pretty um, real life, right? Like you, 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 you fucked up in your past. All you kind of want to do is just say sorry to the people you hurt along the way, and hoping that they just listen to you. Never mind, forgive you. And uh, after all of this, right, we see Nate pick up the check, and of course he pays with that same goddamn credit card. He's just um, like he's not meant to cheat on his <laughs> wife. He's like. <laughs> He really sucks at this. <laughs> but, or he's just being honest about it. And he told Lisa, actually, to his credit when he got home. So he wasn't trying to be right. shady. Well, uh, let me ask you, because I thought... See, what's funny is I didn't... Assuming that when Brenda walked in the funeral home, Lisa was there. Right? Because, I don't know. See, my, my first go at it was... Uh, um, how do I say this? If you sort of catch up with your ex like this... I imagine in now I guess let you you be the, the 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 judge here. I imagine it's not a big deal if you're in a somewhat healthy relationship. But I sort of was didn't know how to where to go with that once that Lisa says you could have introduced me to her first. The idea of Nate telling Lisa and she getting all upset like I don't know. Are, are you more on it shouldn't be a big deal in a healthy relationship or is it really messed up of Nate to 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 go ahead and see her without ever having introduced her to Lisa. Um I I 
think it's a sign of a healthy relationship to be able to to go do that. And I think he was right. It was fair of him. He didn't lie to her when she came back. But right. uh, gosh, all I could think about, and, and spoiler alert, was that when Lisa was so upset, um, you know, that he went out with her. And, and there's, I don't remember if it's before this or after this where, um, it's after this. There's a something that happens where Nate takes Maya to somewhere where Brenda is. And I remember Lisa saying, did she hold her? Uh, she's really upset about that and I just mm-hmm. I kept thinking about something that was going to happen in later episodes with Lisa and Brenda and Maya and I thought oh sister <laughs> <laughs> don't you know mm-hmm. yeah you you don't even know what kind mm-hmm. of relationship she's going to have with your daughter down yeah. the road so again with with not so subtleness the the, the name of the place where they get drunk is, oh they get drunk where they get drinks is called the panic room uh, and they show you that quite a. They show you that tw- whenever whatever chance they have for us to see the receipt is very you know, it's pretty prominent. It's called the panic room. And the second time we see the receipt when Lisa finds it, something I thought was pretty good attention to detail was: Did you read the receipt? <laughs> yes. What they had? It was a it was a Heineken, and then sh- did she have a shrimp cocktail martini? No, there was a, no. It was tiger shrimp cocktail <laughs> Heineken, and then she had like coffee. <laughs> oh, is it so, coffee? Like, yeah, so she wasn't drinking, you know, she had, right. you know, so that was like true to, you know, mm-hmm. the show as well. But I thought like coffee and shrimp cocktail, like what a gross yeah, combo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, the moment when Lisa sees the receipt, do you have anything there on why she gets upset? Is it just physically seeing the receipt that she gets all upset? I mean, because Nate know if told maybe her. because Nate picked up the bill. Like okay. He picked, so maybe it was that, that she's mm-hmm. been harping on him about money and then he like went with an ex-girlfriend and then paid for that mm-hmm. um clearly mm. she you know she has a lot of insecurities i think she came you know they never had a real relationship she comes yeah. on the scene pregnant you know yeah. i'm sure yeah. she feels threatened yeah i guess and i'm gonna leave the the will's will's funeral and what happens with nate for the end i guess we could move over to claire olivier and russell uh, as we spoke earlier, that Olivier uh, asked Claire to be his assistant, her his assistant, and uh, Claire's all happy, and then she just comes to find out she's just going to be his driver. Yeah, she's like modern day Uber. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> modern day Uber. Yep. Uh, as soon as Olivier walks into his room, the room he says, uh, he says the early bird catches things, <laughs> and yeah. it's it, it's so Olivier to probably not not to conform to cliches. Like, I imagine he always messes up cliches just so he doesn't have to, you know, be a part of society or whatever it is that he, you know, whatever the, uh, what does he say? Jackwooded fascist that stole his license. Um, So again, they're going to Century City Mall. Claire is merely, Claire is merely a driver. Uh, Sort of the idea that everyone's quote unquote trapped this episode. We sort of see that Olivier was sort of trapped, right? On on a previous affair. I, I guess, I guess. I guess the point of this was to, I mean, let me ask you, do you think the point of all this talk about his, you know, the affair he had and everything, and he, you know, he says the line, uh, if you like someone have, well, let me see if I have this right. If you like someone, have sex with them, but if you fall in love with them, you're fucked, which is a trap. Yeah, there's definitely the essence of the the conversation. But again, I think a lot of his, his role in this episode is to, 
And he's really trying to get between Russell and Claire, right? Well, the, well, that's why I was asking you. Do you think the whole point of that that little dialogue while while being driven is to just drive that wedge between them? Absolutely. Really, I think uh, you know it's funny watching these episodes because I never had to make these connections before. You know, I just kind of watched it, took the show at face value, and now I'm sitting here trying to connect things. I just sort of thought that was Olivier sort of opening up to Claire, not realizing that. Uh, I, I definitely would side with you that it's, um, you know, I mean, because the next thing we see, right, of of Russell, uh, of their storyline is Claire comes in and she's just sort of like, hey, listen, you know, uh, maybe it's better off we're just friends, whatever. And <laughs> I think Olivier's he's just like miserable person. He's bored with his life. He knows that he has these little art kids that like idolize him. I mean, you saw that with Claire when she's telling Rico what an opportunity this is. And when she and Russell are looking through, I don't remember if it was in this episode or another episode, kind of right around it, where they're looking at his work and you know what he accomplished at their age. And, and they really idolize him. And yeah. I think he, and then you know Billy and other episodes in, in his role as artist teacher, mm-hmm. really take advantage of these students and just kind of play with them and, you yeah. know, a little bit. And I think this is a prime example of it. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess the more I think about it, the more he's just, I, I mean, I guess literally, right, to, to what we sort of started the episode with, he's sort of playing Claire in this episode like a puppet, because drives her exactly, I guess if that was his intent, got literally exactly what he wanted. Yeah, bringing it full circle. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I felt bad for Russell when he was sort of like, no, no, I was totally thinking the same thing. And we will see <laughs> where that goes, not as far as the next episode. Yeah, I was kind of sad about it, though, because I do think that Claire really cares about Russell, and they do really like each other. I think it was the very beginning of the episode where they're talking about how they were on the phone all night, and they kept mm-hmm. falling asleep. And like that's yeah. just like such a 18-year-old like, yeah. thing to do. And like I miss that kind of feeling, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that was very authentic and, and showed that Without his meddling, I think their relationship would have yeah, yeah. taken a different course. Uh, our episode ends with, and I'm sort of taking a lot into this end scene, uh, uh, you know, scaling it back a bit, we're at Will Jaffe's funeral, and Nate's manifestation of Will comes to him. Uh, I mean... <laughs> the guy says... Oh, the guy. Will says, you know, the best thing I ever did for my family was drive off the road. And it's funny, like they sort of go, they they go back at each other, you know, they challenge each other and Will just comes up to him and is, you know, look in my eye and tell me that you don't just want to get in your car and drive sometimes. The way he kind of says that, because there's twice now, this, this episode being the second time where, when, when Nate is sort of faced with, um, how do I say, when he's pressed up against the wall with something, because if you remember in season two, I believe it was, Nate gets on the motorcycle. And, yeah. you know, really dangerous, <laughs> you know, riding a motorcycle at, at that haphazardly. Um, <laughs> you know, did you also notice, too, in the commentary that that mustache is fake? And now that you go back on it, it's like, it, now it really looks fake. Uh, oh, of, cor- of course. I didn't but realize yeah. that till he said it. Like, hey, go, going back to what, what they're wearing, though. Okay. I noticed that um, this is a funeral director question. So David, before Nate has the vision of... of William Jaffe at the funeral, 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's standing there with David, and David's hungover, and they're just chit-chatting. And they're both wearing, like, really ugly white carnations. <laughs> Is this... And and I think I've seen this other times in the show, like, during yeah. the actual funerals that they're... You know, obviously yeah. they're dressed up in a dark suit, and they look a lot nicer, but... They have like essentially boutonnieres from an '80s wedding. So is that a thing? <laughs> uh, I you I think every single scene where David is a quote unquote funeral director, where he's you know he's not out at like an he's not out somewhere doing whatever. He's at the funeral home. He always has what it, that's not a, a corsage is for the woman on the hand, right? This is a boutonniere. Yeah. This is how uninformed I am. Uh, I so mean, you're clearly not wearing these. <laughs> I guess I just gave it away, right? Uh, no, no. Um, the only. What are the only, you wearing when you are in that role? If you are uh, in that role. Uh, a suit without the the boutonniere. The only reason why sometimes I we have even boutonnieres. What we do is uh, from the flowers that are there already, we sort of pick some off. And what we do is we will pin them on pallbearers, so we know where our pallbearers are. You know, because, okay. I mean, you're doing funerals. You're meeting so many new people. Uh, that's, you know, you, we get whatever. We pluck whatever flowers and we'll just pin them right, you know, like boutonnieres. And that's how we know who our pallbearers are. But that's not to say, though, that I'm sure there are funeral homes or funeral directors that do that. Um, it's just you're kind of if, if you're working at somewhere somewhere that's somewhat busy to kind of have that. You're taking your jacket off on and off all day. I imagine the cost to just get that flower every day is just <laughs> too much. Um, I just thought it was also kind of unattractive. I didn't know if there was any symbolism with white or. It looks super traditional to me. Yeah. Yeah. It looks super traditional. Yeah. uh, I met maybe they have done it at a point, but no, my only, my only uh, um, history with that is we just, we use that as like a little trick to, to find pallbearers. But I mean, man, have you uh had the opportunity to work with many interns since you've been a funeral director? Uh, yes, I have. And what I found out, and this is totally by, by, um, by happenstance. Like I never knew I had this in me and it might only be with funeral service. I actually am a really good embalming teacher. I, I, I have, for whatever reason, I have the patience for it and I like showing someone how to do it. Uh, embalming is not as difficult as, as people may think. I guess it's more of if you can stomach it, but even then it's really not as grotesque as people think. Uh, that's what I have found out working with. Like I, I, I usually don't mind residents or interns. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's, I do enjoy teaching them and I, (laughs) by total happenstance, it's probably a quirk in my personality. I'm a really good teacher. Other than that, it's, it's whatever. So, do you not learn to embalm until your residency? Is that not? I would think well, that was part of the he, right, curriculum. Right. Well, here's the thing. Like uh, where I went to school in Pittsburgh, and I've heard of uh, you know people who went to other schools. Uh, the the bodies you get to learn on are are bodies either donated to medical science, where you just gotta embalm them really strong so they could last for a longer time. Or, or basically the, the John and Jane Doe's of the city who were never claimed and... Oh, interesting. Right. But the problem with that is it's not like you can... <laughs> it's funny coming out of my mouth. It's not like you can purchase bodies to work on, right? Right. So there's a, a finite amount of, amount of cases you could work on. That being said, you know, you kind of... There's... See, I remember my, my mortuary school experience as... We were a team of four, and the four of us would embalm a body. 
you kind of get the general outline of it, but you never you never put it in the position. You never like tested like you have to embalm this body to get an A. You know, you're just sort of shown there with you know in the cl- in the classroom in the embalming room with a teacher and a bunch of students. So you could do more of like the cosmetic work in school because that's something you can do and wash off maybe. Yes, but even that. Um, um, you know, it's funny. I didn't do cosmetics my entire my entire time in mortuary school. Uh, I didn't learn that until way into my, my residency. Despite That's not being like a required. Well, I, guess I don't. I don't know what all of your required courses are in mortuary school, but I mean, I assume it's a very thorough. I mean, you would think. I'm just. Uh, you would think that, but I just know. Even me, when I got out of school and other residents, you don't run out of school knowing how to embalm. You know, like what the general idea of it is, but I don't think, you know, you, you don't have enough time in school to be prepared for any type of case that may come your way. I mean, it wasn't until recently, and I'm 11 years into it, it wasn't until recently that I was finally, like, really confident that you could throw anything at me. Uh, there's funeral directors who graduate school, they never touch a body the rest of their career. You know, they're literally just funeral directors. They just meet so with families. So like front of house, kind of. What's that? So is that kind of what Nate, like the Nate role then? Uh, you know what? Yeah, because, I mean, you never see Nate embalming, right? David definitely embalms. You never see Nate embalming in the, in the right? I mean, throughout the course no, of the show. No, I mean, when he was studying. So I just wondered, is there a position where you don't touch bodies? Some states, yeah, well, some states have a funeral director license and an embalmer license. In some okay. states, they have it combined. Like when I was in New York, it's a funeral director license. It's, it's encompassing in, as one. Here in Florida, they have funeral director and embalmer. You could be an embalmer and never be a funeral director, if that makes sense. Different states, you know, have different rules, whatever. Uh, that, so that, like a kroner, mm-hmm. it was kroner and six feet under, but I know there's a large company yeah, yeah. that kind of, oh, so they may just have a ton of embalmers that are just kind of. Yeah. Uh, kind of, work. you remember like Rico had the job as like a central facility. Yeah. Where, so they, that's real? Yes. Oh no, that's, that's definitely real. Um, same, you know what? I was going to say that's only a corporate thing, but no, there, there's definitely family, local old funeral homes that sort of do the same thing where they're just so big, even though they're not corporate. Uh, it just makes a lot more sense to have a centralized lo- location, and <laughs> I don't want to call it a factory, but you know, yeah, if the mean, cases go out to elsewhere, you know. Yeah, that's definitely real. There's definitely, um, yeah, just centralized embalming locations, like a main hub so, of but, sorts. Yeah, I get the sense Arthur's looking to learn how to do all of the above. Yes, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't remember. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see because I don't remember his how how he learns whatever he learns i just remember him as quirky and weird let me ask you i guess and i'm, I'm to bring us back to to the episode because the one last thing i didn't re- pick up on this until my final watching uh we get the scene where nate's with will right and he's they're smoking and they're just kind of they're having a guy's night even though it's just nate they're listening to that song uh, i'm not dead yet by sticks right um was that sticks Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yes, yes, it was. I'm more of a Mr. Roboto sticks <laughs> person. <so> right. <laughs> I'm not familiar with her full discography. And after it, Nate, uh, you know, presumably like Nate comes home, he, you know, flicks a cigarette, looks at the car and whatnot. Do you think, I mean, maybe maybe this answer is obvious. Did that really happen? 
obviously not Will wasn't there, but did he actually go out in the car? Or did he just envision that in his mind? I feel like he went on a ride. You definitely think he went on a ride? Yeah. Because there, there's a weird cut to it where he's driving and all of a sudden it just cuts and he's there sitting next to the car. He looks at the car, smiles, you know, flicks his cigarettes and walks away. So that didn't even enter your mind of whether or not it actually happened. No. Hmm. I assumed it did. I was uh, I was hoping it, the the commentary would have alluded to it. Uh, I don't know, but I guess I guess right. Uh, I, I'm gonna take it as it didn't even happen. Nate just sort of looked at it and smiled. Mm, I don't know. And I'm sitting here thinking about it because I'm watching this scene now. Well, that's uh, the thing that's so tricky about the show, right? That yeah. they have these visions and what's real and what isn't, and you mm-hmm. know, is that really Brenda when she walks in? I mean, you know, it's not William Jaffe when he walks in. So. Yeah. It's an interesting convention that the show has. And it doesn't annoy me at all, which is interesting because I'm not a huge fan of science fiction or fantasy shows or things that aren't really grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this, you know, the fact that they sometimes speak with the deceased for me on this show is not at all distracting or annoying. Yeah. And it usually really plays into like what's going on. It's really, it's really them just, you know, fighting it out in their head and whatnot. Um, I'm looking at the scene now and it's just a weird cut to Nate kind of like scoffing either at what he just did or the idea of it. Um, I'm really challenging. I don't know which way I I lean on it, but regardless, maybe, maybe maybe listeners can weigh in and and tweet at you if if we're missing something there, but yeah, I just assumed it really happened. Yeah. And that, you know, Nate walks into his house and that sort of ends our episode. Uh, we talked a lot. Is there anything I glossed over or something else you wanted to discuss from the episode or anything? I think we hit everything in my notes. Just very yeah. excited that Arthur's now on the scene and he'll bring some quirky humor and uncomfortableness to many episodes to come in this season and next season. So I'm very excited that Arthur's here. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so mad at Lisa anymore either. So <laughs> it's, been, it's been fun. Let me ask you too, because right, this is 2003, and then I think The Office started in 2005. This had to get him that role, right? Just that. Yeah. That. So today, I actually to prep for our conversation this evening, I looked up. Um, I tried to find interviews with Rain Wilson about six, his time on Six Feet Under and kind of his early start of his career. And you know, he did mention in an interview. There's not many of those interviews, by the way. He's mm-hmm. very underrated as yeah. an actor. Um, but he was explaining how, you know, without this role, he wouldn't have been Dwight. Oh, wow. Um, Look at that. And I, there's a little, there's a little bit of, I think, Arthur and Dwight. Oh, so, I think totally, totally. You could totally, I guess, I, and I guess that's just how well Rain Wilson plays it. Right. Or that's just who Rain Wilson is, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we're seeing Rain and Arthur and we're seeing Rain and Dwight and, um, so yeah, so I, he definitely attributes his time in Six Feet Under to, help, to helping him get the yeah, role this yeah. way. Well, uh, um, awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. You've, <laughs> I think this has been one of the most insightful episodes I've done, where it's just, I mean, from the beginning of the, uh, the six degrees of Will Jaffe or whatever his name is in real and life. And I bet there are more. Those are just ones I had off the top of my head. If other people oh, yeah. can think of other ones, I'd love to hear it. Um, Oh, really? I I could tell you I could tell you just in this episode, and I guess if I could if I sat down and thought about it, uh, did you watch Dexter at all? Obviously. The the um the guy Keith 
throws to the ground. The other security officer. Yeah, he was in Dexter. Yeah, he's uh he's like a copycat Dexter for an episode. Um, and he looks like that too. He has yeah, that yeah. Kind of creamer look. <laughs> Megan, thank you, thank you for again great episode. Um, I'm sure we'll be hearing from you again. I hope so. And I am on Twitter. I am at Digging Podcast. I am on Facebook at Digging Six Feet Under. You could always email me. I'm at Digging Six Feet Under at gmail.com. And join us next week as we'll be discussing episode six of season three titled Making Love Work. Thank you for listening, everyone. Swing! Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under. And the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.